0: Well, this morning we begin a new series. We're going to be going through the book of 1 Corinthians, and so you can go ahead and head there, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Very much looking forward to this journey that I anticipate will be a bit longer than the last four books we have gone through. We've gone through four uh, shorter books or series, if you remember, we did uh, after Acts, we did the Sermon on the Mount, then the book of Ruth. Then the book of Ephesians, uh, which took us a year, just to kind of prep you for what we're in store for here, okay? Um, And then we just went through the book of Malachi. So, we're going to pick up here in 1 Corinthians. I'm excited, I think, as we go through it, um, we'll be challenged. Uh, The the letter is filled with with instruction for the church that will be applicable to us, and so... Very, very much looking forward to what the Lord has for us. So, I'm going to look at the first three verses this morning, and in doing that, I want to give us some background and and foundation to the book, and uh, so let's read verses 1 through 3. Let's stand up again together. It's God's Word. We want to honor it. We want to pay attention to it, and I think this helps us to do that, so... 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting with verse 1. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for trusting us, entrusting it to us, Lord, giving it to us that we might know you. That we might know how to follow you better. And so I pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes to you as we begin a journey through a new letter a new book that you have given us god i pray that you would bless it i pray that our hearts would be open i pray that we would be attentive to you speaking through your word i pray that you would bless i pray in christ's name and for his glory amen go ahead and have a seat we're given right away at the beginning of the book the first word of the book is the author of the book paul Uh, always gives his name right at the beginning. Sometimes he will give someone else's name that has been a part of his ministry or helping him or assisting him in the letter or the delivery of the letter. But we have it right off the bat here. Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle. Paul wrote this letter while he was in Ephesus. Okay, So we went through the book of Ephesus over a year from March to March 2011. And and while he was in, In Ephesus, while he was doing the three years of ministry that he did there in Ephesus, he wrote this letter to Corinth. Uh, The letter has to do with with, uh, issues in the church and and things about the church, and we'll kind of get into that in a moment. But we see in uh, 1 Corinthians 16, if you you jump over there for a second, it's just one verse if you want to listen. But 1 Corinthians 16, Paul says, as he's kind of wrapping up the letter, I will visit you. After passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia. Jump down to verse 8, sorry. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door of effective work has opened to me. And there are many adversaries. I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost. He's in Ephesus when he writes it. It tells us it's right before Pentecost. So sometime in the spring. Uh, we don't know for sure if it's AD 53, 54 or 55 we know that uh, paul was in ephesus for three years the book of acts tells us that but sometime towards the end of that three-year ministry he writes this letter to the church in corinth um, goes on and says paul called by the will of god to be an apostle he addresses them at the very beginning giving credibility to what he's saying he's an apostle therefore this is this carries authority with it paul was on the same standing as the 12 apostles. And so when he spoke, people listened. And the beauty of this is he's not writing as if we write letters, as if we sit down and say, Dear Church of God that is in Corinth. And then we kind of lay it out for a long, long, long time. And at the end, it's love, Tony, or love, Paul, or love, whatever. Right at the beginning, he lays it out. And that's the way that letters would be written. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. So they're not getting this letter and saying... Dear such and such, well, this looks good. No, it starts out really nice. And then a couple paragraphs in, they're like, who does this guy think he is? And what's he saying to us? And they flip all the way to the back. Oh, it's Paul. He's an apostle. We have to listen and we have to pay attention. From the very beginning, he says, Paul, an apostle, giving authority and and showing them. This This is not just my words. This word, this letter carries authority, not just from me, but from God. This is a letter from God to you. Paul was used as the messenger of that letter, called by the will of God. We know from the book of Acts, uh, it was not Paul's will that he would be an apostle. Paul's will would be that he would go and persecute the church. Paul's plan was that he would go and kill or imprison Christians, and that was his Desire that was his intentions, and on the way to do that, on the road to Damascus, he was encountered. God's will was your life's going to be totally changed, and so he encounters Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, and everything changes for Saul. You can read about that through the uh, chapter nine of of Acts, and everything changes for Saul, and he's called, commissioned by the Lord Jesus Christ as an apostle, and so as he writes this letter, it carries authority in it. He says Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes. Now we're going to find out more about Sosthenes later on this morning, but what we know right now is he's a brother in Christ and he is somehow assisting Paul in the delivery or writing of this letter. It goes on in verse 2 to the church of God that is in Corinth. To the church of God That is in Corinth. Now, notice that it doesn't say to the church of Corinth that worships God. It says to the church of God that is in Corinth. It's it's not to the church of Corinth, it's God's church. Just like this is God's church. Not Paul's church, not Apollos' church, not any other person's church, not the church of Corinth. It's God's church that was located in Corinth that 's important for us to know because we need to know as a part of this church or any church that we are a part of a larger body and the church is made up of people who love and believe Jesus Christ who trust in Jesus Christ, and those people make up his larger body on the earth and so it 's not just this is the church in Columbus, Ohio, it's God's church. We are God's people. In fact, if you look a couple chapters into 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul says to them at the end of the chapter in verse 20, you were bought with a price. Right before that, you're not your own. You were bought with a price. You don't belong to yourselves. You're not your own. You're God's. You're God's people set apart for Him. So glorify, your God, glorify God in your body. That's how he's starting off the letter. You're God's people. You're set apart for him. This is a letter to God's church, not just to any church. You're God's people set apart for his glory. The church of God that is in Corinth. Believers together compose Christ's earthly body. And we're called to be stewards of it. Because we're not our own. We are his. To the church of God that is in Corinth. A couple of questions I want to answer, hopefully this morning. First of first of all, is what was Corinth like? This is the church of God that met in Corinth that was in Corinth. So, what was Corinth like, and how did the church begin in Corinth? How did it get there? How did people come to know the Lord in Corinth? How did the church begin there? What was Corinth like? I'm going to pull a map up on the uh, slide here. I think good. You see real big on the left side there, Corinth, okay? The dot next to that, that's where Corinth was. We have north in that that, um, tannish area, that's Greece, okay? So you have northern Greece and southern Greece. Northern Greece and southern Greece are attached together by that little thin piece of land. It's called an isthmus, okay? So you have Corinth right there on the edge at the uh, connection to southern Greece of the isthmus there, okay? So the, the thing about that that's important is all of the traffic that would go north and south along the Isthmus. So if you're coming from Athens to southern Greece, if you're coming from anywhere in southern Greece to northern Greece, has to pass through Corinth. So Corinth was a, a, a big city with a lot going on. It was thriving and prosperous and obviously strategically located so that people had to pass through it. And because of that, it became a, a, a larger, larger, larger city. You can see that it's divided in two parts. Not only that, but when, when, when people were going by sea, they would come. Uh, I'm going to come over here, okay? If you're over there, you've got to look, all right? But you see on the southern uh, part of Greece here, you have the Isthmus. If people were coming by sea, it was, uh, it was a long journey to go around the southern part of Greece. But it was also a very, very, very dangerous journey. So they usually would not do that. Most captains of ships would dock on the isthmus and would actually carry their ships across the land on either rollers or skids so it would be pushed across the land because it was a shorter distance. The largest part of the isthmus is four miles wide, which was much safer and less difficult than traveling completely around where there were treacherous waters. And so not only do they have north and south coming through the city of Corinth, but also from east to west with ship travel they would be passing most people would be passing through corinth so corinth benefiting from all of that traffic and all the directions became a major major trade center population was made up of various languages various people it was also successful as an entertainment center there were two uh very uh great athletic games you've heard of the olympian games right Well, that was the the greater of the games. There was also the Isthmian games, and those were held in Corinth. So it was a major entertainment center as well. Lots of people in Corinth. Morally, however, Corinth was bad, to say the least. To be a Corinthian was to be immoral. Even to the pagan world, the city was known for its moral corruption. The, The name of Corinth became synonymous with moral depravity. Paul tells us some of the things that were going on in Corinth, some of the characteristic sins that were going on in Corinth. In chapter 6, he mentions things like sexual immorality, idolatry, adultery, homosexuality, stealing, greed, drunkenness, abusive speech, swindling. Those were the characteristics of sins that were not just apparent, but, but everywhere in Corinth. Corinth. It was immoral to its core. Some of the church, he mentions in chapter 6, had had been guilty of such things, but had been cleansed when they came to know Christ. They were changed. But he also says that there were some who were still living in those ways, living in those sins, not just that. In chapter 5, he says that some of the people in the church were committing sins that Paul says even pagan Gentiles didn't commit, sins like incest. In Corinth, there was a hill that dominated the city. And the temple of Aphrodite was there, the goddess of love. That temple was served by a thousand priestesses. They were temple prostitutes. And so they would do their business at the temple during the day. And then at night, they would do their business in the city. That wasn't bad enough. At the base of the hill was the temple of Apollo. Apollo was the god of music and poetry temple of apollo became the center of the most blatant and horrendous forms of homosexuality corinth was a filthy filthy place it was a city that was consumed with sex and we don't have to use our imaginations very hard or very long to think hmm. That sounds familiar. That sounds familiar. I know of cities that are consumed with sex. We live in a city that's consumed with sex. And I think what we will find as we go through the book of Corinth is there's a lot of similarities between Corinth and America. There's a lot of similarities between Corinth and Columbus. And so how did the church begin in a place like Corinth? Corinth. Well, thankfully, Paul believed everything he wrote, everything he said. And when he said in Romans 1.16, the gospel is the power of God for salvation, he believed that. And so when he saw a city like Corinth, he believed that even in a place like Corinth, people could be set apart for the glory of God. We have in the Bible the story It teaches us historically how the church began in Corinth. And so I want to go there for a little bit this morning. Go to Acts chapter 18. First 18 verses tell us about how the church began in Corinth. It begins with these two words, after this. Those are important. After what? After what? Paul had been to Macedonia. When he was in Macedonia, you can see that up there. He was beaten with rods. He received many blows, it says. He was imprisoned in Macedonia. He goes from there to Thessalonica and Berea, where he receives similar treatment. There's an uproar, he's chased off out of the city. Finally, he comes to Athens. If you remember about Athens, where the intellectual people lived, and so he goes into the city and he has many um, times where he's testifying to Christ there. Some actually believed in Athens, many mocked him there. And so when we see after this, what it's saying is after these things, after he's been to Macedonia, Thessalonica, Berea, Athens, he comes to Corinth, probably exhausted probably physically battered, and probably naturally fearful as he arrives. Paul had never been to a city like Corinth and its size and and the things that were going on, and probably the most awesome, intimidating city he had ever encountered was Corinth. Maybe that's why he says in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 3, that he was with them in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Coming into a major thriving metropolis like Corinth would have been nerve-wracking at best. But what does God do? What does God do when he arrives in Corinth? Let's look at Acts chapter 18. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome, and he went to see them. So he comes to Corinth, this massive city, knowing no one, and the Lord leads him to a brother, not just any brother and sister in Christ, but a brother in Christ who does the same work that Paul does. By God's providence in hand, he leads him to Aquila and Priscilla, and instantly there is a friendship and a ministry partnership that has begun at that point god's hand is faithful and huge and he provides for them it says in verse 3 and because he was of the same trade he stayed with them at work both were tent makers for they were tent makers by Trade and he reasoned. Paul reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. So Paul lands in Corinth, he's working, making tents with Aquila and Priscilla, and while he's doing that, he's going into the synagogue and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus over and over and over. It goes on in verse 5 the Lord brings two more. Paul's acquaintances, Silas and Timothy, who worked closely with Paul, arrive. In verse 5, when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. In verse 6, and when they opposed and reviled him, the Jews opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. So we have this picture. He's going into the synagogue regularly and preaching the gospel. And they oppose him and they revile him. And you have this picture that Paul gives to them where he literally shakes out his garments. Even the dust that is in his garments. Because it was a symbol, a picture in that culture of, I don't want anything that was of yours to even stick to me. I'm leaving it all behind. Your blood be on your own heads. You're guilty. I'm innocent. I preached the gospel and you rejected it just like you rejected Christ. And with this very vivid image, he walks out of the synagogue and leaves them. He doesn't go far, though. Verse 7. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. I love that. So he has this. Brother in Christ, Titius Justice, worshiper of God. His house was next to the synagogue. We know at least that Titius Justice was interested in the things that he's speaking, and so he invites him into his home. And verse 8 says, Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord, together with his entire household, and many of the Corinthians hearing Paul believed. And we're baptized. So we have the ruler of the synagogue where he's just shook out his garments. Maybe it was the picture. Maybe it was just this demonstration and and, and Christmas realizing, whoa, whoa, whoa. The teacher, Jesus, he did those things. He said those things. He taught those things. Maybe it was just the truth of the gospel enlightening his heart. Whatever it is, there's a switch in Crispus. And he says, I can't stay here as a part of this anymore. And he leaves too and goes over to be with Paul and believes in Christ. It says, and many of the Corinthians hearing Paul believed and were baptized. Many believed. Many believed. We just see what's happening and that he faces difficulty. And in verses 5 through 7, he faces difficulty. He's, he's, he's really pushed out of the synagogue. I'm going to see here later on in, in verses um, 9 and 10, or in, in verses uh, 12 through 13, he faces more persecution. But look what God is doing through the proclamation of the gospel throughout all of it. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believes in the Lord together with his entire household. Many of the Corinthians hearing Paul believed and were baptized. So people are believing and coming to know the Lord in this wicked city of Corinth. Verse 11, and the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent for I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Let's keep going. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves, I refuse to be a judge of these things. We'll pause there for a minute. So Paul's encountering persecution. He's He's encountering these things, but the Lord is working through the midst of it. Even through Gallio, who just speaks up and says, I'm not going to deal with this. You deal with it yourself. This has to do with words and laws of your own. Go out. And doesn't punish paul doesn't imprison paul and so paul is able to go out from them but again look at what the lord is doing verse eight many of the corinthians hear and believe the gospel verse nine after many have believed and heard the gospel jesus from there says i am with you no one will attack you to harm you for i have many in this city Jesus says to him, keep preaching the gospel, keep preaching the gospel, keep preaching the gospel, because I have many who are mine in this city. Many who will believe in me. Many who will put their trust in me. The church in Corinth exploded. It wasn't just a small thing that happened. There are many, many, many believers who come to know the Lord in Corinth. And so the church is established, and even the uproar is evidence of how many people in verses 12 and 13 of how many people must have given their lives to Christ. They bring, the Jews bring Paul in front of Gallio because he was persuading people to worship God contrary to the law because of how many, the influence of the gospel in Corinth. He just finished reading 16 through 18, and he drove and he drove them. Gallio drove the Jews from the tribunal, and they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. After this, Paul stayed many days longer, and then took leave of the brothers, and set sail for Syria, and with him, Priscilla and Aquila. You see what happened in the midst of that. So we have. Towards the beginning, verse 8, Crispus is the ruler of the synagogue. He gives his life to the Lord. That means he is no longer the ruler of the synagogue. He leaves there. He's following Jesus. He's replaced by someone. Sosthenes. Sosthenes, when the Jews bring Paul before Gallio to be tried, and he says, no, go out. This is nothing I'm going to deal with. Just go out. They take Sosthenes and beat him. It's just a picture, maybe to make Gallio feel bad, maybe as a a sign for the rest of the Jews, maybe whatever it is, they punish uh, Sosthenes, Sosthenes, who we know from 1 Corinthians 1 verse 1 is a part of the church now. So at some point, the replacement to Crispus, who's the ruler of the synagogue, becomes Sosthenes, and he gives his life, maybe it's because he was beaten, and he realizes there's something to what Paul is saying here. Whatever it is, the Lord uses something to draw him, the, the next ruler of the synagogue who becomes a believer and now is working with Paul in some way, assisting Paul and a brother in Christ. Just amazing the work of the gospel in this wicked city of Corinth. So the church is established and the church is growing. Growing. The church continued, however problems arise. This letter we have in First Corinthians, you can go back to First Corinthians chapter 1, is actually the second letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. In fact, he says in First Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, he refers to that. He says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. So in the first letter that he wrote, he's dealing with some issues. And again, he's following up. There was some confusion over that first letter, obviously. And so he's following it up with another letter addressing some of the problems that are in Corinth. And so we have this letter to deal with those. Corinth is a big church with big problems. Say it is a church in chaos as we journey through the book you'll see the issues just to kind of give you a rundown of some of the things that are going on in the church there are divisions between the body between the people loyalties are divided we'll look at that in a few weeks in chapter 1 verses 10 through 13 chapter 3 verses 1 through 9 talk about the divisions that are in the church The believers in Corinth were not separating themselves from the worldly ways of the society around them. They wanted to be in God's kingdom, but also have a foot in their former earthly kingdom. They wanted the the benefits of life in Christ, but hold on to the pleasures of their old life. Paul says that's impossible. You can't do that. You can't live like that. They continued to associate with openly and arrogantly sinful church members with whom they should have broken fellowship. And on the other hand, they they copied, they mimicked the ways of their unbelieving neighbors, but refused to associate them with them when they should have been witnessing to them. They're living backwards. There's no church discipline. There was carelessness on what people believed and carelessness on how people behaved. It was an unruly church, challenging all forms of authority. It was a church that was fascinated with the spectacular, forsaking the path of love that's grounded in truth. We'll get into that in about a year and a half. <laughs> just, a, just a commercial. But it's interesting with all of the problems in Corinth, with all of the things, as if, you, if you read through this book, which you should, you go home and this week, just where are we going? What are we looking at as a body? What are we going to be teaching through? Read through the book of Corinthians. And as you do, you'll see all of these things that I've just mentioned, all of the problems, all of the issues in the church. It's interesting knowing those things. Paul's writing because of those things. And what does he say in verse 2? How does he address them right at the beginning of the letter? How does he address them right, at the, right off the bat? Look at verse 2. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Those sanctified in Christ Jesus. Saints. Saints. That word saints means to be set apart, to be holy. They were saints because they were sanctified, because they had been made holy in Christ Jesus. And Paul addresses them as that. That was their position. You are holy ones, you're set apart ones. In the presence of God through Jesus Christ, this is who you are. This is your identity. This is important for us to understand because it's not... This letter isn't a letter that's saying you better clean up your act. You better start living in a way so that you're more holy and therefore you'll be acceptable to the Lord. That's not what the letter's about. The letter says, look, think, what have you received in Christ? You've been blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You've been... You've been made to be saints. You've been sanctified. You've been made holy in Christ Jesus. Live like it. Look at the work that Christ has done on your behalf. How can you live this way? Live as those whose identity is in Christ Jesus. That's the point of the letter. Not to say, hey, you better straighten up because Jesus is coming back someday. And if he finds you doing bad things, well, then you'll be put with the goats. And if he finds you doing good things, then you'll be put with the sheep. No, 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 no. You've been made righteous. You've been made holy in Christ. How could you live in the trash heap of Corinth doing the things that they do rather than in the presence of God, worshiping him for what he has done? Live as you are. Live out your identity, Paul's telling them. See, we're not holy because we live holy lives. We're holy because Jesus Christ makes us holy. We're holy because of what he has accomplished. We're holy because of what he has done. And when we put our trust in him, then we are credited. We are blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing. And that's how Paul starts this letter with them. Yes, there are problems. There are major, major issues in the church in Corinth. There are things that they have to grow in. There are things that they have to deny. There are things that they have to leave. But all of that is only going to come if they embrace the truth of who they are in Christ. This is the same for you and for me. For those of us who are who are struggling, if you're struggling with certain sins that you've been struggling with over and over and over and over, and you know, you know that it's an offense to the Lord. You know that God has called you away from that, and yet you just keep going back to it, going back to it. Paul's words are for you. You're if you're in Christ, you're holy. You're set apart. Jesus purchased for you on the cross a new identity. You're a part of God's kingdom now. You don't have to live as a part of the other kingdom anymore. He's giving you his given you his holy spirit in you to work. It was the whole message, remember of of the book of Ephesians. This is who you are. Now start living like it. Stop pretending like you're still in the old flesh stop pretending like you're the old man stop pretending like you haven't been forgiven that you haven't been cleaned and so here we have paul writing to these what would look like from our lenses filthy people and he says no 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 no, you're clean you're just not living like it and what an offense to the lord who who killed his son so that you could be clean that you would continue to live that way. To the church, God's children, those set apart by Him, the church of God that is in Corinth to those sanctified. Those sanctified. Christ's work, not ours, makes us holy, but we ought to and we're commanded to live holy lives in response to Christ's work and grace. To those sanctified in Christ Jesus. Jesus sanctifies us by the work that he did on the cross. He was punished, just like we talked about as we were going through the book of Malachi, that he was punished for sin. That he embraced the wrath of God on the cross. So that if anyone trusts in his work, in what he did, and in who he is, and how he lived a perfect life, On this earth so that he could be a perfect lamb that was killed for the sins of those who would believe in him. So if anyone would believe, they could have eternal life. This, what we see the Corinthians living, is not eternal life. It's old life. It's sin. It's it's the old nature. Jesus has called us away from that. And he's empowered us to do it by his Holy Spirit. And so as we, as we bump into these different issues as we go through the book, my prayer for us is that we would know if we are in Christ, we're new creations. We, we, we don't have to live that way anymore, and we ought not to live that way anymore. We have the opportunity to be a reflection of who Christ is and what He has done in the way that we live, in the things that we do, in the discussions that we have, in our homes and our neighborhoods. If we remind ourselves, and when we remind ourselves who we are in Christ, that's that's one of the strongest deterrence to sin. When I'm faced with temptation, if I would just remind myself of who I really am, this is this is not you. That was the old you, Tony. Who are you in Christ? You're holy. You're sanctified. You're set apart for Him and for you're bought with a price. You're not your own anymore. You can't live that way. Don't do it. Live for Christ. Remembering our position can compel us to improve our practice, how we live out our holy lives, how we live out in the identity of being sanctified in Christ Jesus, being made to be saints in Him. Together, he says, with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Two things that we can learn from this. It's the way that we receive the sanctifying work of Christ. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We talked about that last week as we finished up Malachi. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Paul refers to that here. He says, you're a part of a, a larger group of people who have trusted, who have called upon the name of Jesus Christ and what He has done through the work of the cross And that's why you're saints, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord. It's the way that we receive the sanctifying work of Christ by calling upon Jesus, trusting in what he's done, but also it's a picture of how we are all linked in Christ with others throughout the whole world who call upon the name of Jesus. We're not alone here. This is not just the church of Columbus, we're a part of the body of Christ. When we, when we talk through the book of Ephesians and Ephesians four and that picture of the body of Christ and and how that's not, just not here it's it's all over we're linked together to be the body of Christ to reflect to this world to places like Corinth to places like Ephesus to places like. Papua New Guinea, to places like Columbus, Ohio, to places all over. We're linked together as a part of the body of Christ, changed by Him, given a new identity so that we'll reflect not ourselves and not our own desires, but who He is and what He's done and how people who live in a sex-crazed place like Columbus, Ohio or Corinth can be radically changed and rescued from their own desires and their sinfulness To be made right in Christ. We're a part of that. We're a part of that. And the way that we live out our identity. The fact that we're set apart and holy. Matters. It affects what the world sees. Of Christ. He ends the intro. To the letter in verse 3. He says grace to you and peace from God our father and the Lord jesus christ two things he's praying for them grace favor favor with god through christ and favor with each other what they need there are divisions among them they're not loving each other they're not a body that is together worshiping god as they should be grace Favor with God. Favor with each other. And peace. The peace of Christ that surpasses all understanding. As Paul writes to the Philippian church in chapter 4 verse 7. Grace to you and peace. This is prayer for them from God. And the Lord Jesus Christ. My prayer is that we will find both. We'll examine our hearts and our lives. Even as we talk about. The church in corinth that our hearts and minds wouldn't be focused so much on what they're doing wrong as in how are we responding to this identity we've been given how are we responding to this grace we've been given as we're instructed in how to live as the body of christ as we go through the book that we will live in grace and peace with each other michael was was praying this morning how grateful we are that we are not a part of a body like this that that sees so much disunity we're a part of a body that is so loving i love being here Uh, shauna and i talk about this often when we leave to go out of town it's like our thinking is how can we be back for sunday how can we be here on sundays we just want to be with this body it's just it's by far the most loving group of people I've ever been a part of. And to, it's a, we can rejoice as we look at the disunity in the body in Corinth. And yet, we know, we know that the unity only comes from grace and peace in Christ. It's nothing that we've done. It's nothing that I've done. It's nothing that you've done. It's, it's not that we're just special, nicer people. It's Christ. It's Christ and His work In us, and so we can be grateful for those areas where the Lord is working and moving and keeping us together and unified, and yet we worship Him and depend on Him more and more and more and more for that. So, that's my prayer for us as we go through it that we would evaluate our hearts and our lives. Are we in Christ? Are we living in Him? Are we being what He has purchased us, made us to be? Are we living holy lives? Are we? Would we need to be addressed by Paul in the same way? Look, you're sanctified. You are holy. You are saints together. So live like it. My prayer is that we would progress in it as we go through the book. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace. Thank you for the examples that you give to us. Thank you for the words of challenge and comfort. That you give to us. Thank you for this church in Corinth. Which is an example for us Lord. We just look at at Acts 18. And see how the gospel. And the preaching of the gospel. Completely set a city ablaze. And so there's hope in that Lord. The gospel. The gospel. Is the power of God for salvation. May we believe that. May we be people who live out our identity in this world in such a way that we are living examples of what Christ has called us and made us to be. And that we are proclaimers of what Christ has done. And would you be pleased to do the same kind of work in our city as you did through Paul and the preaching of the gospel in the city of Corinth. Lord, we love you and we need you. And so I pray that your hand would be with us even through this long journey of going through this book. We are grateful, Lord. We are grateful that we have it. We're grateful that you've called us to study, to show ourselves approved. We're grateful that we can dig into your word to find out what is it what is it, Lord, that you have called us to do? Because if we love you, we will keep your commandments and therefore we will want to know what you have commanded us to do. Help us help us as we seek those things out and bless us with faith to obey. In Christ's name, amen.